Welcome back to Life in Digital. In our second episode of Parenting is a Juggling Act, I'm pleased to be joined by Marie Wright, executive coach, life coach, and all-round brilliant human. She will be sharing not only her experience of raising a family, but how she's helped hundreds of other men and women on their journey back into work and regaining their confidence. We did experience some minor sound issues, but please bear with us as this is one of my favourite episodes and there are some absolute nuggets of wisdom that Marie shares. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. So um, a little bit about me. Um, My background originally was in recruitment. I started off my career working at Michael Page in their city contracts department, recruiting into the investment banks, mainly Deutsche Bank. Um, And then I went on to work for Resource Solutions and I worked in-house in some of those banks. I worked at Credit Suisse and Morgan Stanley and a few others. Um, And then I actually set up a property company after traveling around the world for a year for my husband, um, which was buying and renting out properties in the Southeast. And then I had my three children and I became a full-time stay-at-home mom for 30 years, um, which was... um, I was very lucky that was the choice I I had and the choice I made and it worked for us. Um, But then after when my eldest was 13, I really very much felt like um, I really wanted to go back to work. I felt like I'd lost my identity and lost my purpose a little bit in life. And um, I really, really wanted to learn and grow and be more than I was. Um, I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be just a mum. I know Mm -hmm. being a mum is incredibly important and it was a role I cherished, but um, I wanted more than that. I, I felt ready to go back into the workplace after all that time. So that's what I did. And I didn't have any idea of what I wanted to do, but I sort of sat and brainstormed at my kitchen table and, and sort of came to the conclusion that I wanted to be an executive coach. So I went back and retrained. And now I help uh, a lot of other women who are in the same situation that I was do the same. And it's sort of my coaching program was born from that week at my kitchen table brainstorming by myself so I kind of that's the basis of of the coaching program that I now uh, I now run and tell me a little bit more about the executive coaching so you you um the focus of this podcast uh something that came up uh, in previous conversations leading up to this was just how women and men and parents are juggling the lockdown with being a parent some people are worried about coming back into work after having a baby there's so many different things that encapsulate that and one of the reasons that we reached out to you was because that was a big focus of your uh, consulting was actually speaking to these women and you mentioned a few men as well about that journey but I know that you don't just focus on that so just for the purpose of kind of sharing what it is you do do you mind just giving a bit of an overview like of the whole thing and then we can kind of go into specifics about parenting and coming back into the workplace. Sure absolutely so yeah so my coaching is I call myself a career coach an interview coach uh, a transformational life coach and an executive coach so what that actually means (laughs) is um, there's a few different strings to my bow there so um, I operate my business working one-to-one with private individuals So you might come to me and directly and we work together one to one um, on a number on anything. It could be um, 
it could be around imposter syndrome, confidence. It could be that you wanted to want to progress in your career um, and how help some help doing that. What does that look like? Or it may like we've talked about career transition. It could be mm-hmm. earners. Um, it could be people who've been made redundant. It could be someone who's just really fed up with the work they're doing and they want to do something completely different and don't know what and don't know how to make that work. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of the career coaching side um, on the private, my private business. And then I have a number of associate roles. So I work for a few different organizations that provide coaching to organizations and individuals. So the organization mm-hmm. the individual will go to that company and I'm one of the coaches that will be maybe chosen to work with that person or that company. And I work for, um, I've just recently, I'm very proud to recently actually been taken on as a coach working for a brand new, newly launched company called Liminal Health. And they are providing uh, coaching to cancer patients and people with long term illnesses, including long COVID and and other, you know, long term uh, diseases. So I'm just starting, just started doing that. And I'm, I'm very proud to be doing that. Something really close to my heart. Mm-hmm. So that's great. So, but there's a variety of roles I hold as a yeah. coach. And then I, um, the third sort of aspect really is working directly with businesses. Mm-hmm. So working with um, companies where um, certain employees, I, I work with certain employees and the company pays me to do that. And that can be around, you know, it's sort of performance coaching, health, helping people be the best they can at the job they're doing or overcoming any challenges or working out mm-hmm. who they're a leader um, like I've done with with sphere in the past so yeah um, yeah so that's kind of the three aspects of, of my coaching when I mentioned uh, this podcast to you or I think actually Ed was the one that introduced you into the conversation but the reason was you've helped so many women like you said you went through this yourself where you became a mother and 13 years on you were at that sticky period where you're thinking what on earth can I do um what's gonna be best for you talk to me a little bit about why this podcast kind of resonated with you and this topic resonated with you yeah it really resonates with me because you know I I know I was in that situation and it's a really tough situation to be in when you've you've you know being a mom a full-time mom I think is the hardest job in the world you know it certainly was for me it it's it's equally wonderful and hard you know it's so rewarding it it is a fantastic role to play and I felt very lucky to be able to do that full time for 13 years Mm -hmm. however you know there it's also hard it can be lonely it can be exhausting you can really lose your corporate confidence Um, Mm -hmm. and myself you know I'm a confident person however during that course of those 13 years I really lost my corporate confidence and the belief in myself and and that can I really do this and when I retrained as an executive coach I remember walking into the room of of 19 other people on the course who were all you know in my eyes these these amazing corporate people suited and booted and there was little old me just a mom and and I, I had this absolute crisis of confidence and just had this story about myself that I wasn't worthy and I wasn't good enough because I was just a mom 
Um, mm. Even though, you know, I believe that that role was such an important role. I was very proud of being a full-time mom. I didn't belittle it, but I still felt small. Um, so I really relate and understand how, and it's mainly women. There are some men who are stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, sorry, uh, you know, who, but they still still are in the minority. Um, so, um, yeah, so I can just, I just really relate to those women who have been in that situation um, and then find themselves wanting to go back into the workplace and A, not knowing what it is they're good at anymore, what it is they really want to do, how to fit it in around their families. There's so much to juggle. It's a really tricky situation to be in. And um, it's, I just, I find it so rewarding and so exciting working with women Giving, giving them back their self-belief, helping them gain their confidence and helping them look at who they are, you know, and, and what they're good at and translating all that into something that they feel is, gives them purpose and identity and they're mm. good at and aligns with their values and aligns with who they are and that can fit around the commitments and responsibilities they have. They, you know, they still have their children and that those children are still the priority even though they want to go to work, but it's, it's marrying that all together and mm. coming up with ideas and, and very, very tangible, realistic, practical ideas of what they can do that provides all that to them and fits around the family. So it's not easy, but it's, it's very much doable. And it's so exciting when you, you sort of get to that, uh, they get to that aha moment and realization of, oh, this could be it, this is the thing, this, this lights me up. It's like they, this fills my soul with joy and I can make this work around my family is, is mm -hmm. that for me is um, what it's all about. And does that moment, that aha moment, is that very different for, for certain people? Do you find that you're speaking to people before they're thinking about having a family, when they're pregnant, after they've had the baby? Like at what point do you start kind of working with women? Yeah, most of my clients in that situation are people who've had their children and the mm -hmm. children are either very young or, or slightly older, um, but they've, they've gone through, they've, they've maybe had a career um, that they loved and they were good at, but now, and they, then they have, the, they have their children and then they realise that, and they've taken a career break and they realise that actually, how do I do be a mom and do all that comes with it and go back to work. How do I make that work? Because it almost seems an impossible job, you know, because children, you know, yes, you can work and have children, of course you can, but it's it's not easy to 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 make it work successfully where you're not completely stressed and you'll just feel like you're juggling and you're not doing either job well. So my mm -hmm. I sort of look at it as trying to help women do do both jobs well, to make it work where it's not stressful and they're not juggling. So I don't, most of my clients in, in that respect to answer your question are women who've already had their children mm -hmm. and they're looking to go back to something or start something different that yeah. uh, they either want to or need to go back to work or both. Um, and, and, it's, and it's, yeah, it's fitting it around having a young or slightly older family. Mm. And does your response to, to the women and the men that come to you and, and kind of seek that advice are there common threads between people in, in how perhaps their businesses reacted to them having a family or um, say they have left that business? 
how they then return to work and they find that career. Are you noticing any kind of similar threads between the people that you work with? Yes, I think there's, there are a lot of similarities. There's a lot of common concerns and common challenges to overcome. I think the first one, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, was, was around confidence. I think that's the first yeah. thing. Having the right mindset and confidence and belief in yourself is the most important thing, aside from knowing what you want to do. So um, I do a lot of work around helping people get their confidence back and the stories they have about themselves, making them powerful and, and you know, um, <clears throat> authentic to them. There's, I think it's, it's that sort of the, the logistics and the practicalities as well of, of, of the, the, literally the logistics of how do you make it work? What happens when your children are sick? How do you, how do you sort out working in school holidays? You know, a lot of women and, and the occasional man that I work with in, in this respect, um, are, you know, are fine with the sort of part-time, maybe four days a week and the sort of hours they do in a day because it's, it's easier to manage after school Mm -hmm. hours with after school clubs and activities and so forth but it's the school holidays that create the problem you know if you particularly well you know particularly if their children are in private school when the school holidays are even longer it's it's almost mm -hmm. impossible to find a role where you can you can be not working during school holidays and then what do you do if you've got several children of different ages that the logistical organization yeah. and that is really really difficult but if you only work in term time, you know, it's very difficult for an employer, isn't it, to just employ mm -hmm. you in term time. That you've got to look at it from the employer's point of view as well. Yeah. So I think that's one of the difficult things to overcome. So um, often what happens is a lot of the women I work with either end up working in schools or, you know, a role where they have their their work schedule follows a school schedule um, mm -hmm. or they set up their own businesses so that they've got that flexibility um, or we look at working for an organization and how actually physically you make that work in school holidays and come up with ideas and and it all depends on the support network that someone yeah. has you know whether they've got family nearby a reliable childcare what whether they mm. want to spend that amount on on that childcare. There's, there's so much to consider but I think at the end of the day, there's no right way and wrong way about doing it. It's really about working with that individual and really questioning and understanding what's important to them because what's important to us differs from person to person and looking at what's yeah. important and getting really creative and open-minded about, well, this is what you want. How do we make that work? What does that look like? And, and then sparking off and, and getting ideas and just being really open to the whole thing because anything's possible really when you... When you, know, when you know what you want and you, you can look at it and just say, well, okay, well, how do we make that work? That's, that's important, mm -hmm. let's, let's figure this out together. And it's very difficult to do that on your own. You kind of need someone asking you questions and just uh, making observations and bringing in things that they might have said before that you know is important, that sort of gives them food for thought. You mentioned maybe I'll just say for the podcast I've now changed because we had some audio issues uh, but we were just talking about confidence and Marie had mentioned um, about the stories that we tell ourselves or tell about ourselves and I wondered if you could just elaborate a little bit more on what you meant there. Yeah sure so we all tell ourselves stories we all have those voices in our head telling us we're not good enough or we're not 
this or we're not that. And we really beat ourselves up quite astonishingly. We wouldn't do that to a, a good friend of ours. Um, and I, I just really help people notice that and just ask what are the stories that you're, that you're telling yourself and really getting people to be aware of that and even just writing them down. So one of the exercises that I do with my clients is getting to get a, an A4 sheet of paper with a line down the middle and just on one side put the stories I'm telling myself and on the other side to look at is that story true is it not true or am i wondering if it's true so um uh, as an example um if i think about myself one of the stories i told myself um when i started my my coaching business and people were asking me to speak at events and talks and they you think know, do webinars and now what podcasts and things like that <laughs> i had this story about myself that i i was a terrible public speaker um, and I, and, and, and I really believed it. It was just like, I'm, I can't possibly speak in front of people, in front of a group of people. There's just no way I'll be terrible at it. And, um, I, I sort of looked at that and realized that that had to be made up. When I looked at that, is that true? Is that not true? Or am I wondering it had to be not true because I'd never done it before. Mm -hmm. So there was no evidence that it was true. Um, and then I looked at, you know, well, actually, what can I do to be a good public speaker? And, and, and so I'll work with someone around that. When they look at that story, I'll work with someone to look at, well, actually, how can you change that story? What's the evidence for it? So, um, you know, if it's a case of you know, your story might be, oh, I'm not very good at my job. You can look at, well, actually, where's the evidence? Is there evidence for that? Is there evidence against that? And it really just forces you to look at it, step out of your sight outside of yourself and look from an objective place and just be really curious and fascinated to just go oh is that true let's have a look and and if you do that in all areas of your life particularly around you know, around the where you lack confidence mm -hmm. and just really explore it from a place of curiosity it's really powerful because you can just look at it and and actually be really objective with yourself and often you'll find a lot of the time you've made it up it's not true if you find actually that story, that belief is true, then you can look at, well, actually, what can I do to change it? And there's always something you can do to change it. And it puts you in the driving seat, it puts you in control, and it gives you that feeling of, of empowerment around your life. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about when we're looking at the stories. It's, it's really your limiting beliefs that you have about yourself. And we make these stories up through our lives. You know, someone might have told you when you're six that you weren't very good at something and you just believe it and it stays with you and you've told yourself that's I'm really rubbish at that I'm never going to try but you've actually never tried. Does that kind of bleed into particularly when people have had a career break um, and you said you, you kind of work with people on what what is the next stage how does that that limiting belief feed into how they make those decisions? Mm, yeah absolutely well, I think, you know, when you've been away from the corporate workplace for a while, you start, you know, those, those stories you tell yourself, those limiting beliefs really come into play. And we've all got that gremlin, you know, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, whatever it is. And it just amplifies because you haven't got, you know, when you're, when you're at home with a young family, there's no one giving you appraisals, there's no one, no one patting you on the back saying oh you've done a great job today well done you've really improved in this area this is your target you know this is your target for the month you know there's none of that so um it really dwindles and so working with 
with um, individuals going wanting to go back to work after a parental career break. I help them look at all of that, and particularly around losing your corporate confidence and, and those limiting beliefs they've created and looking back in their career and what they've done and getting gathering the evidence so that you know they really start building that confidence up again and start going actually I can do this I can go back to the workplace I have got a lot to offer everyone has a lot to offer just it's just different for different people we've all got wonderful strengths and often a lot of the time we have strengths that we're not even aware of you know, we're, we're just naturally good at those things. And we don't, we think that everyone else is because they come naturally to us. And when, when um, I work with someone and we, we look at the strengths and we highlight the areas they're good at, they're often really surprised and like, oh gosh, I just thought the rest of the world was good at this. Yeah. And, and they have that realization and it just, all that, all those realizations and insights start building up to, oh, actually I've got this, I can do this, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a process. Um, and you also work, like you mentioned earlier, you work with companies. Um, does it ever come up? Do, do people talk about how can we better support people, women, men, um, so that they actually stay in the business once they decide to have a family? Do you, do you ever talk to the companies about that? Um, not directly, um, but I think it's something that's so important. Um, and I think it's where a lot of companies fall down and lose really good people. Um, and, you know, I think there is a way forward with this. I just think it takes some time and effort to, to make it work. All too often I see, you know, often it's the women, um, you know, who just cannot manage, who just find it too stressful to manage a young family and a, and a demanding role because they haven't got that flexibility and understanding. You know, some companies do, but it seems to, in my experience, be, not not be the norm mm -hmm. um but i think um i think companies can do a lot more to better support women who go back to them and men who've had a, a parental career break um and i think really it really centers around flexibility and trust um you know people are intrinsically motivated people want to do well at their work um and if if the employers give them trust and autonomy and purpose and so on um, and allow them to do their job around their children, trusting that they will get the work done. I think that that provides a better relationship and a better model to work from rather than set hours. And I think with the pandemic we've had, it's, it's, it's helped you know, women in, and, and those few men who are, you know, who, who have gone back. Um, it's helped them in terms of that flexibility a little bit because the pandemic has accelerated working from home and online meetings and, and so on. So that's been really helpful. It's been a real catalyst and it's proven we can do it. I think on the flip side of that, I think a lot of women have had the difficulty of you know, managing the childcare and doing the work. It sort of seems to have fallen to women, in my experience, probably not in all cases, but in a lot of the people I know, it has fallen on the women to, to do that. So it's, it's been some pros and some cons, but going back to your original question, I think for companies, I think the, the, the essence of it really is for them to be understanding, compassionate and empathetic and, and really allowing people who are looking after children as well to do the work in their own time and trusting them. Um, and, and people will, you know, men and women in that situation will then feel loyalty 
mm. and um, will want to go the extra mile and will stay longer in that role when they don't have that pressure and stress. So I think it's it's a win-win for both both yeah. sides, really. And you kind of touched on it there, and I know we spoke about it a little bit um, ahead of this call, but about the pandemic and obviously we've gone into another lockdown and um, mm -hmm. luckily schools are still open which is going to be a massive support and lifeline for it I know a lot of families but you said something really interesting which was that almost hadn't been picked up by a lot of the companies that these women um, typically women were were working in do you just want to talk a little bit more about that and this kind of um I mean, what, what would we say kind of uh, an expectation that you're the caregiver or you can do everything? <laughs> I think that's often the, 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 what it boils down to. But can you talk a little bit more about that experience that you're having with the people that you're speaking to? Yeah, I think really the crux of this whole, this whole conversation really is around, it tends to, and I'm generalizing here, obviously, mm. it's not gonna be in every family in every situation, but, from my experience, personally and professionally, I've just noticed that the mental workload, the mental load and the childcare load tends to fall to women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was really highlighted in, in the first lockdown where children weren't at school, that it tends to be women who are trying to do their full-time job whilst homeschooling children, whilst cooking them lunch, whilst juggling everything. And I just came across a lot of very stressed um, parents, more mums than the dads, but, but stressed parents trying to do that. And yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. It just tend to, it's, it's a cultural thing. I, I don't know mm -hmm. the answer. I don't know why necessarily, but I just, it seems to be the case. And it's certainly in my experience that that falls to, falls to the women generally. Yeah. And you know, women who do have demanding roles alongside their partners, um, who, who are either equally in an equally demanding role or more demanding role or less demanding role, all situations, it tend, my experience was that the women were the ones trying to manage all of it. Mm. Um, whereas men and tend, tend to sort of be quite just focused you know the, the caveman who just goes out to fight to kill the saber-toothed tiger he's just one-dimensional focus women who are you know the, the gatherers we tend to manage everything um, and I know I'm being stereotypical and generalizing <laughs> it's fine yeah but that's just that's just what I noticed it comes from your experience yeah and it's the people that's my experience and not yeah. all men, you know, that's not the same across the board. It's just what I noticed. I had a lot of people struggling with that. Um, a lot of women struggling with that through lockdown. And I was curious, so you don't, obviously, like we've established, you don't just speak to women who've taken a career break. You speak to women who have, uh, like, early doors into their career or they're really successful and they haven't decided to have a family, men too. Do you find that, women or men are deciding not to have families or putting off having a family because they don't feel like their employers will support it or they're worried about how that will impact does that ever come into the conversations that you have yes absolutely um I, actually i've worked with a lot of women who have been undecided uh, you mm. know they're enjoying their careers but they're coming to an age where you know they need to make that decision 
um, from a biological point of view and really unsure what to do because they love their careers and they can't see how they can do both because, yeah. you know, for all the reasons we've discussed. Um, so, yes, I definitely see, I, I think I see it more women um, making that decision later on, you know, later, putting it off a bit. But actually when I work with women to make that choice, nine times out of 10, they actually choose to have the, to, to have the family. Um, mm -hmm. And then are incredibly delighted that they have. That just that's my again my experience. Um, so I've not come across anyone who hasn't has chosen not to have children because of it, but certainly put the decision off to later till they've got to a certain point in their career to to, to actually have a family. So you obviously work very closely one on one with these women. Um, if somebody listening doesn't have access to a resource like yourself. Are there any things that you would advise them on if they if they are ready to step back into the world of work? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think a few things for them to consider is to you know look at why you're returning to work um, and you know why you want to do that and make sure it is the right option for you first of all and really consider that. Um, and you know if it isn't something you really want to be doing, to just look at what the alternatives could be. You just to explore those and can you make it work any other way you may or may not be able to and I think if you are going back into work the best way forward really is to be, speak really openly to your boss to your team to your employer um, and talk about your concerns up front be really open and honest and have that dialogue because if they know that then hopefully they will be on your side and you can work together to make it work you know it's in their interest for you to do so and ask questions and you know talk through the options of how they can support you and you can support them i think openness and honesty and being brave about having that conversation is always the best way hopefully you've got a relationship with the people you work with to be able to do that um and i think another something else that, that's helpful is perhaps to speak to other people who've been there and done it who've gone back to work with the family and just find out what's worked for them what hasn't worked for them what mistakes they've made what they've learned Mm -hmm. what, what they put into place that's helped them you know obviously everyone's different and what works for you and your child or children may or may not work for someone else um, but you by speaking to people you can ascertain and get ideas and what's going to suit you and your family best you know everyone everyone's different but at least it makes you aware of the pitfalls that other people have come across and I think really at the end of the day if, if you can create a support network um, that's really, really helpful because, you know, children get ill, children need doctor's appointments, mm -hmm. you know, they constant, there's lots of spanners in the work all the time when it comes yeah. to <laughs> It's not straightforward. So if you can, if you haven't got, you know, if you've got family nearby or you have or friends or childcare, just um, people, people that you can rely on that can step in when you can't because mm -hmm. um, it is really stressful when, you know, when, things go wrong and you can't be there if you've got someone you can trust and rely on it just makes all the difference um, and I think really it's working between you and your partner um, if you're not doing this on your own um, you know as well working out with your partner sharing the load sharing the chores sharing it all but um, I think it is it is it is a juggling act <laughs> it is trial and error but I think um, if you can not take it too seriously 
and have a sense of humor that's helpful as well <laughs> easier said than done easier said than done when you're tired and exhausted and stressed I think when we had our intro call I mentioned that a lot of my family live in Sweden and how there's a Scandinavian culture around parenting is just it feels a lot healthier than perhaps in the UK where we're living and you mentioned in Denmark about people being able to finish their work day to pick up their children from from home and I guess it's a it's quite a big topic to breach but um I, I, yeah what are your thoughts around this kind of cultural shift because I think we are seeing a shift towards um women not being the default caregiver and recognizing that employers do need to do more if they want to have women at board level and a more diverse mix of people in senior positions did you did you have any thoughts on that yeah i'm i'm really fascinated by the scandinavian model not that i know a huge amount about it but i think when we were chatting before i mentioned i'd read a book called uh, a year of living danishly yeah, it really stuck with me. It was a wonderful book. I loved it. About written by this woman who lived in London, and with her with her husband, and um, they really wanted to start a family. She was in publishing, working all hours, and stressed, and couldn't fall pregnant. And he got a job with Lego in Denmark, and they moved out there for a year. It was just really interesting reading about her observations of, of how they seem to have it so right when it comes to families and childcare and how much the state supports families from you know the working hours that they work really short hours men are expected to leave work at three or four o'clock to pick up the children from school it's a very different model um, from here I, I hope we are coming towards that more and obviously a very much a cultural thing but it really struck me what a difference it makes to those families and the parents and, and it takes all that stress out and it's just the norm. It's, it's expected that you do, you take the children to school and then you go to work and then you pick yeah. the children up at end of school and you come home and, and they're just as productive and that's what's so interesting. Um, and I just think what a wonderful way to live life. <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful if that was the norm for everybody and I know they have a big sort of support welfare state and, and high taxes but gosh wouldn't I'd much rather that than what we hear I kind of would quite like to go and live there <laughs> if we could emulate you know if we, if we could emulate that here in terms of culture and in, in, in some political and cultural aspect I yeah. think we would have um, a much higher quality of living um, and it's sort of what I would love the UK to aspire to really yeah yeah I think the big thing for me from from um, my understanding mainly of Sweden is um, young children can go into some form of nursery very very early on and whereas in the UK there's a big there's a big issue particularly in London and big cities where childcare is often more expensive yes. than uh, returning to work and that's a big blocker in in even yeah returning <laughs> at all because it's it's often more expensive to do that than to stay at home 
Um, so there does feel like whether that's done at a corporate level and childcare is built into the plan, I'm not sure what the answer is, uh, or if it, well, hopefully it would get to that kind of governmental level where it's encouraged and it's given, that would be amazing. But that, that feels like a big blocker. You recognize that as well with the, with the conversations that you've had. Absolutely, and you're absolutely right. So many women are put off going back to work because of the cost implications of childcare. It is just not affordable for them. And then, you know, and that's why we haven't got, you know, women at board level and senior level because they take a step back from their career because they can't make it work. And it's such a shame. Yeah. It's such a loss of talent and expertise yeah. that goes out the window. And you know, if we had that model like, like they do, like you say in Sweden and other Scandinavian countries where that's provided, you yeah. wouldn't get that loss, that loss of expertise and knowledge and experience coming out of the workforce um, because you'd be able to carry on. Mm -hmm. You know, your, your, children, your child care is sorted and, and you know, like a, in, in the hours of, of, of work as well, you know, you, it's, it's the cost and the logistics of getting your child to a nursery and yeah. picking, you know, transport the you know, transport and getting to and from work and to and from the nursery it's logistically as well, which they seem to have sussed in in, in Scandinavian countries as well. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, I think that's where that's that's where the UK could really focus on and spend time and money implementing that. Mm. So that we don't have that workforce drain of very talented women which is such a shame. I work with so many amazing, talented women who just could not make it work when their children were little. And then there's a big gap in their career because of it. We've spoken a little bit um, previously on the podcast about how this pandemic has accelerated a lot of changes. You alluded to that too earlier on. But do you see this, this kind of this year as a moment to make bigger shifts do you think towards a healthier relationship with people returning to work childcare, all of those things that we've discussed um in the past uh, 30 minutes or so do you see this as a as a period for companies to reflect on their own policies and for how we're going to approach things in the future i really hope so i am i'm always hopeful i'm an optimist um i'm an optimistic realist um so i, I think it would be a shame and it's a missed opportunity if they don't. This year has shown us that we can change things when we're forced to, when we have to, we can change things and it can work. If you want to make something work, you will. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if companies want to make this shift and help more women you know, continue with their career, there is a lot they can do to make that happen. They just need yeah. to want to do it and get creative and, and figure it out. And, and it's, I don't think it's easy. I think it can be, there's some simple answers, but not necessarily it's easy to implement, but it's certainly possible. And um, I'm, I'm really hopeful that that, that that change is being accelerated because of what we're going, because of the pandemic and, and the change that has come out of it. I really yeah. hope so. We'll, I'll be watching this space in anticipation. Who knows? I think we need a few more um, 
you know, uh, role models in this side of the world, like, you know, Jacinta Ardern, who's, who's my goodness, she just epitomizes, uh, you know, someone who's can have a, have a baby and run a country. (laughs) (laughs) A few of her in power who sort of, you know, can, can implement that kind of change, hopefully. There's two things I felt were really important in that conversation. We've kind of spoken about at a corporate level, what businesses can do. um, And we have a lot of clients that listen to this podcast. So I think it's interesting for having a period of reflection about their own policies. Um, And equally, if you're not in a company that is supporting you or willing to support you, what are the steps that you can take so that you can do both? And I think... um, you've been amazing at sharing that information so thank you so much thank you you've just sparked one more thought yay (laughs) give me a thought that's just come to mind that I haven't really thought about hugely so it might not be articulated very well I think one thing to consider when thinking about organizations you know I think I think with this there's not a one-size-fits-all answer Mm -hmm. you know for every individual you almost have to look at each individual situation so I think when it comes to really large global corporates where they have to have standard policies I think it makes it a little bit harder in some ways yeah perhaps for smaller organizations where they can adapt policies to to suit individuals and that's okay to do so it's a little bit easier yeah really all this comes down to dialogue between the employee and the employer and really working out an agreement that's going to suit both of them so that they both get the best out of each other yeah which when you're in a big corporate it's not necessarily it's not impossible but it's not necessarily as easy to do because you've got standard policies to adhere to mm-hmm. but I just that just came to mind that really at the end of the day it is a conversation between an employee and an employer and then that both sides want to make it work yeah it really feels like that it feels like companies are they're very aware now that having diversity at a top level is brilliant for them and it's in their interest to as you say communicate with people who are thinking about starting a family as to what's working yeah I completely agree and and like you say at a smaller level those conversations are easier but that's that's not to say that at a bigger level we can't add more policies, <laughs> more structure. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. No pleasure. I think it is, it is something that benefits companies having that diversity and having, you know, of all kinds of diversity, but as, as we're focused on women, you know, having women lead in a different way, women operate in a different way than men, yeah. either better or worse than the other, but it's just very different. And we've been operating in that sort of male way for so long and I think sometimes that's harder for women at the top level the way of operating is more male but I think there's that shift you know that shift is is happening where um leadership is that's my youngest knocking at the door (laughs) coming home from school (laughs) yeah no I've lost my train of breath um, yeah, but um, women not necessarily emulating a traditionally male way of leadership, actually bringing their own yeah, way of more, working into the role. Yeah, the more female way, which I think 
as time goes on, I think that that makes the workplace a much more uh, rounded place. You know, yeah. to have the yin and the yang, um, I think is is really is really important. And you know, the more we can do that, the better. So let's hope yeah. let's hope that happens. Watch the space. <laughs> Well, it's always a pleasure. Thank you again for oh, lovely to chat to you, Amy. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure speaking to Marie, and the team at Sphere Digital love working with her. If you want to find out more about the work Marie does, I will link to her website in our show notes and via our website. She also just launched a newsletter, which I'm subscribed to. I'll link that too if you want to hear more words of wisdom. Thanks again for listening and see you next week for episode three of this season's Parenting is a Juggling Act.